Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. This morning will be taken from two places within the New Testament. One in the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and beginning with the first verse. If you have a Bible with you, it would be good if you would turn to it, because these are very, very important words for you today. God has left us the promise that we may go in and rest with him. Let us fear then, so that none of you will be found to have failed to go into that rest. For we have heard the good news just as they did. They heard the message, but it did them no good, because when they heard it, they did not receive it with faith. We who believe then do go in and rest with God. It is just as he said, I was angry and made a vow. They shall never come in and rest with me. He said this even though his work was finished from the time he created the world. Some, for somewhere in the scripture, this is said about the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day from all his work. This same matter is spoken of again. They shall never come in and rest with me. Those who first heard the good news did not go in and rest with God because they did not believe. They are then others who are allowed to go in and rest with God. This is shown by the fact that God set another day which is called today. He speaks of it many years later by means of David in the scripture already quoted. If you hear God's voice, do not be stubborn, for if Joshua had led the people into God's rest, what would not have God spoken later about another day? As it is, however, there still remains for God's people a rest like God's resting on the seventh day. For anyone who goes in and rests with God will rest from his own work just as God rested from his. Let us then do our best to go in and rest with God. We must not, any of us, disobey as they did and fail to go in. For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way through to where soul and spirit meet, to where joint and marrow come together. It judges the desires and thoughts of men's heart. There is nothing that can be hid from God. Everything in all creation is exposed and lies open before his eyes. And it is to him that we must all give an account of ourselves. And then in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he has, on the same subject, has these interesting words for you and for me today. In the fourth chapter, and again with the fourth verse. May you always be joyful in your life in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Show a gentle attitude toward all. The Lord is coming soon. Do not worry about anything, but in all your prayers, ask God for what you need always asking him with a thankful heart. 
And God's peace, which is far beyond human understanding, will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us this morning to understand what we have read for the sake of today. <clears throat> so long complaining. Hello, peace. You know, it comes to, have you ever had this to happen to you? It comes through to me as a real shock sometimes, the way we go about greeting one another. And you know, we'll ask one another how we are. And we never really expect, how many of us really expect someone to tell us how they really are, how they're really feeling when we ask them? And someone takes the time and think we're dead serious about asking how they're doing, and they start telling us about it, that uh, it just comes through as a shock to us. You know, you, we, we, we go through the motion, but we really never get around to really paying attention to one another. And I guess maybe that's the way that it should be. I'm not sure about that. About this business of complaining about life. On the one hand, there's a type of complaining and frustration we go through, I guess, that is not too bad. But there is a type of complaining that is spoken of within the scriptures uh, that is not innocent at all. There's nothing about it that is innocent because everything about it is, is bad. And if we can believe what the scripture tells us, it brings us into a relationship with God where uh, we stand in judgment of God. Now we can see that uh, wherever you want to look, especially within the Old Testament, a very good example of it comes out uh, when the Hebrew people were making their way from Egypt into the, uh, to the Promised Land. And in that 40 years they wandered around out there in the wilderness, you know they did it simply because uh, that they were complaining all the time. And it blocked every effort that God made to lead them and to help them to be the people that he really wanted them to be. And it was their complaining uh, that did it. Now, folks, I want to tell you something this morning uh, that uh, has a way and can change your life completely and totally. And it's not what I say because we're going to stick just real carefully to the scriptures this morning in a very special way. But I want you to notice a few facts to start with this morning. When we think about this business of living right where we are right now, doing the very, very thing that we're doing today. In the first place, I would call your attention to the first fact, and that is that God created us. Now, sometimes I wonder about that and why he did it. Uh, but we're told that he did it out of his love and care and concern for the kingdom, whatever that might be, and because he wanted to have this, this type of relationship with us that he can have with man. And it was out of love. The second thing we're told about that uh, creation is that uh, he did it and it wasn't just a, not a, an afterthought at all. It wasn't by chance. It just didn't happen. But after he had spent some time uh, seemingly thinking about it and meditating on it, uh, it in his wisdom uh, was what he wanted to do. And so you, you were here as his creation, not by chance. No one is here by chance. It may seem to be, but you're not. You as Peter puts it in the New Testament, that you are a thought in the mind of God and before the foundation of this world was slain, that he had you in mind and wanted to call you into existence. You are the creation of God. That's the first fact that I would call to your attention. I hope you believe it. And God gave to each one of us certain talents and gifts and abilities 
that he wants to be expressed in his world and his kingdom right now. You know, we, we can't go about complaining that God didn't give us anything, you know, because he has given to each one of us certain abilities and certain capabilities and certain gifts and talents, as we think of as they're called within the scriptures, that he has given to us in order that the kingdom of God might be fulfilled and more perfectly presented and represented in order that your life may be more perfectly fulfilled. Blessed is a person that has come to the place where they begin to understand that these gifts and talents that have been given to them is a gift of God. Now, as best we can, we can hone those gifts to some degree. But the innate ability was given to you, and God did not counsel with you. And that's the third thing, statement I want to make this morning to you. God did not counsel with you about the time that you would live or the continent on which you would live, or the parents that he gave to you, or the sex you are, or even the color of your skin. God in his infinite wisdom did some things on his own because this is precisely the way that he wanted it to take place. And the fourth thing I'd like to say that God has a profound plan for each one of us. For every one of us. Folk, I believe it with every inch of my being, if I believe anything, that this same God that created you and called you into existence did not call you here to be nothing. God has a divine plan for your life and is just as creative and is just as fixed as in his laws that govern this world. Just as fixed. God has a plan for your life and for my life. Completely and totally from one end to the other. Now maybe God didn't talk to you about it when he first started out. But the thing about it is that we know that we can have communion with God today and that we can talk to him and that he has not only given to us the Lord Jesus Christ to save our soul, but he has given to us the Holy Spirit that can, can enable us. He is the enabler. He is the helper given to us in order that we might be able to make contact with him and through him give to each one of us the power that we need to live and to be and to fulfill that plan of God that he has given to each one of us. Now, folk, I've already preached a sermon in those five statements that I've made, but we're not finished yet. Don't go home. Now, <clears throat> this conversation in the book of Hebrews is one of the most interesting that you're going to find anywhere, any place. I don't know how many times that I have read the book of Hebrews, but not enough, regardless of how many, until at last I finally come to the place in this fourth chapter where I begin to see something that is absolutely astounding. In fact, I would say of all the things that the man writes about in the book of Hebrew that is included in the Word of God, all the things that are there, the most astounding thing that is written there is right here within the fourth chapter in those first 12 verses as it talks about something that is for you and for me, not when we die, but he's talking about something uh, that you and I can be a part of at this very at this very moment. 
He is addressing himself to the now. And he is saying to you in two metaphors as such. He's referring to two things in the past to tell you that God through the Lord Jesus Christ that did something astounding for you and for me today. And now this is, this is the way he goes about it. He says, God labored in his creation for six days. And after the sixth day, he rested. And he asked the question to the, in effect, have you entered into that rest of God? Now he's talking about a state of life that can be, that you can be a part of today as not in the creation, but as if God was resting what he did on the seventh day. Now listen to that. There is a type of life that can be had today that would be equated with the rest that God did on the seventh day. And it's open for you and me to be a part of it right now at this very moment. Not somewhere out here in the future and not out here after we die, but he is talking about another day. You see, this man said there was another day coming. David spoke of it. Well, I want you to know uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of it. This is the day that they were talking about that you and I have today uh, where we can enter into this rest that God has prepared for you and for me today. Now he uses another thought. Make sure that we understand what we're talking about. He said he offered to the Hebrew people, to his people, the promised land. Now what was the promised land to be? Is it going to be something that we inherit when we die? Well, you know, when, when the man and the writer of Hebrews, when he was talking, uh, he was talking to basically Jewish people, you see. And he knew that they understood uh, that he's not talking about death. He's talking about something real and creative and dynamic right now that you and I can be a part of. And he is saying, in effect, that the promised land that he wanted to enter his people into is something that is open to you and to me today, and which is a state of being in a relationship with God and his kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be what we need to be today that can be considered as the promised land. Now, it's not a one of you think you're living in the promised land, are you? Well, think about it. He's saying that that's what it is. And he's actually asking a question in effect. Why is it that you are not the, have not entered into the rest that God has given to you? Why is it that you have not entered into the promised land that God has given to his people? Have you entered your rest? Have you possessed the promised land? Or another way to say the same thing, do you have the peace of heart and soul and mind that you should have today, that a person should have and can have in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ? And this peace is so profound, so profound, that it is like God rested on the seventh day. It is so profound, it's like the Hebrew people, when they entered into the promised land and found that it flowed with milk and honey. You know, I thought for a long time the greatest objective of life was to get to heaven. Well, not to tone that down any, but one of the easiest things in the world to do is to get to heaven. 
It really is. All you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost too, too easy, you know. But to really to believe, just to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and capable and able to save you from your sins. He's already paid the price. We looked at the empty cross and we know that that's been done. And so we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. The real trick of the thing is, is to, if there be any trick to it at all, is how to get heaven back here on earth. Now that's what these writers are talking about. Telling us precisely and exactly how to do it. Now, you see the Hebrew people, they had a Lord, but they were never able to really enter into the rest that he had prepared for them. Now, dear friends, <clears throat> there's one, the one and the same thing that blocked them from entering their rest or promised land and from them having the peace that they should have is one and the same thing that keeps you and I from being what we need to be today. And focus not a half a dozen things that keep us from that. It's only basically one. Now, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, and you notice what is written there. The astounding thing that is written there. And I don't care how you translate it. Starting in that, uh, in that fifth verse, the sixth verse, the very part of it, uh, where the writer says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Or another translation for that uh, a Greek word, don't be anxious about anything. But the one that I like best of all is, is the translation reads, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Now you mean to tell me uh, that uh, when I'm out of work and the bills pile up and my wife threatens to leave me and the kids are mean and all this sort of stuff that I'm not supposed to, to worry and to be anxious about it? That's exactly what the scripture is saying. That's precisely what it's saying. Not what the preacher is saying. But there isn't any other way that you can interpret what is being said here. It is so precise and so clear, it only takes just a little studying to be able to see what this man, the astounding thing, that is really being said. You mean to tell me, that, the Hebrew people, go back now. You mean to tell me when I'm out here on this place and I'm out of water, there's no food and the snakes are so bad that they're biting all of us? And you mean to tell me that I am not to worry, to be anxious about it? And that's exactly what God is saying. What a switch it is today that we come. You see, for example, you take the Jonah, a man that we all know. We know his story quite well. You see, Jonah had no problem with the lordship of God. He knew that God was God. Now that's not our problem today. You see, it's the other way around today. You see, Jonah knew that God was God and that he was Lord. And, and so that's why he could get on this boat and try to escape, you see. And when God found him, you see, he's sleeping there. That's the reason he could sleep in the storm. And when the sailors found him asleep, they knew immediately what the problem was and said, you're the problem. And this is why Jonah could say, well, yeah, I'm the problem. Throw me overboard. God is God. Throw me in, you know. I'm the reason. God will do what he will do, and he's God. Throw me overboard. 
Of course, what Paul Jones didn't know that he had a fish already prepared for him. Well, anyway, he goes to Nineveh, you see, and preaches to this great city and all, city and all the people repent. Now, here's the switch. You see, Jonah had a problem with God's salvation. This was his problem. And he said, in effect, you remember this story, he says, I'm going to pull up a chair after he saved men and went up on a hillside and built himself a little stool and planted him a vine there and sat down. And in effect, says, I'm going to see what other dumb things you're going to do now. So he's talking to God. He knew that God was God, you see. But now you come back to us today. You see, it's a switch for us today. If we know that Jesus Christ is Savior and He can save us. But how many of us are committed to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ? To the Lordship of Christ. Not to Savior, uh, but to the Lordship of Christ. Now there's a difference. And the difference comes out this way. If you're having a problem at this point within your life, listen carefully now what I want to say to you. And we'll return to the scriptures. And you will find it all written out right here. Make your prayer to God. Make your plea. I don't care how you translate that again. Make your petition to God. Tell him what the situation is. Tell him what you think and how you feel. Tell him carefully of the deep need of your heart and your soul. The Spirit of God is like a two-edged sword, able to pierce to the very center of your being. You see what this man is saying in Hebrews is uh, that God is able to do it. God is able to do it. Don't you worry about it. He is able to be with you when you begin to lay your life on the line and tell him what you really feel, what you really think, and where you're really hurting. See, he knows. He'll be with you. You don't uh, have to worry about that. He can understand what you're saying. Now, how are we to do this? He tells us precisely how to do it. You know the way we go about this business of uh, praying to God. We always wait till the sun goes down. We always wait till something happens bad. And, and then we, we go to God in a quick prayer. And, and we think that if he doesn't answer within the next 15 minutes, we're confused, frustrated, and want to give up about being a Christian, you see. And we just say all kinds of bad things and, and act bad about it. And we, we go to him and things don't happen the way we want it to and we get so frustrated. We, as someone said the other day, well, yesterday, in fact, uh, something happened to him and, at work and this was all out of shape and he said he said some words that uh, wasn't acceptable in Sunday school. And I thought to myself, well, you haven't been to Sunday school lately, you know. Well, anyway, <clears throat> the thing about it is uh, that we want it immediately. And we go in a spirit of frustration. We go in a spirit of demanding. We go in a spirit of screaming and hollering and yelling to God. This is the thing that you've got to do and do it uh, right now. Well, is all you're going to do is just spend yourself and for no good at all. Now he tells us how to come to God. First of all, we make our plea known to God. And then we come to him how? In a spirit of worship. Oh, my friends, underscore that word. Worship. Come to him in a spirit of worship. You see, we covet the peace that God has to give to us, but we are not willing to pay the price of worship. How many of you really see worship as being really important for the well-being of your soul? Or is it something that you can do every once in a while? 
Or is it something that you can do in a casual way? Or is it something that you can do when you don't have anything else better to do? Well, folks, then if that's the attitude that you take in coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. You will never know of what these men are talking about. You will never know the rest of God that you can have right now. You will never know the promised land and what it can be like. You will never know the peace that Christ can give uh, that passes all understanding. Spirit of worship. Oh, my. Now, a second thing, and I'll hurry quickly. No, it's the fourth thing, excuse me. And that is come in the spirit of worship and of thanksgiving. Now listen to that. Always asking him with a thankful heart. The bottom line, here is a fine print in this contract. Here it is. If there be any fine print, right here is where it is. Come in a spirit of worship and give thanks to God. Now, folk, I want you to see something here. As almost as the young people say, blow your mind. Oh, listen to what is being said right here, right now. Because I'm going to tell you the most important thing that you have ever heard. And that simply is this, that the life that God has designed for you has been designed for your perfection and for my help for your perfection and the help of another human being in the kingdom of God. Now, you mean to tell me that four and a half years ago that I was in an accident and went through all this pain and agony of a broken leg and there wasn't so much the physical pain and agony as much as it was the mental pain and agony uh, that stopped a person that got up and went and came at will and from sundown to sun up and into the night and did all of these things and all of a sudden out of the clear blue stopped dead in his tracks with all the pain and agony that goes with you mean to tell me that the God that you serve was right in the midst of all of that and that's precisely what I'm saying it wasn't always easy to give thanks either oh I may never live to see and know all the reason why I'm not supposed to, but did he tell me? Some I see, but you see, the thing was emphasized in faith, in faith, both of them, both of them, in faith. They didn't enter into the rest. They don't enter into their glory land. They don't enter into the peace because they do not have the faith to accept the word of God as being the word of God and the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. Now let me close by telling you a story that every one of you knows expresses this more beautiful than I could ever possibly express it. Over in the Old Testament, there's a man, a young man, a boy by the name of Joseph. You know this story. Hated by his brothers, jealous of him. And he went out to see how they were doing with their flocks one day. And you remember, they took him, tied him up, and sold him to a a bunch of Syrians going through on a caravan into Egypt to trade. They wanted to kill him, but decided not to kill Joseph, but they sold him into slavery. His brothers, his family, had turned on him and had rejected him and had even discussed in his own hearing to kill him. And then they sell him. He goes into Egypt and sold into slavery 
and there where he made his friends and proved himself in a household, you remember he was betrayed and thrown into prison. Oh, what agony of soul and spirit and heart. And here this young man was trying to do what was right and what was good and obey the dictates of his conscience, his heart and his soul. And as a result of it, he was thrown into prison. I would think by that time you'd come to the place where you would reject everything that, that pertained to God. And then while he was in prison, you remember he, he made friends to the king's wine barrier and told him, when you get out now, remember me to the king. For years after the man got out, forgot him, betrayed by another friend and forgotten. Well, by this time, you wouldn't be giving thanks to God unless you were as smart and wise as Joseph. You know, there's no mention of this, this boy ever complaining about what happened to him. And you remember that when his brothers came back to Egypt to buy grain because there was a drought upon the land and people were starving to death and God's people had to come to Egypt to buy grain to stay alive. And you remember at this point God was still in charge and had made him second in command to Pharaoh. And when he reveals his identity to his brothers, you remember they were so frightened and so afraid that they fell on the ground in front of him and in a sense pleaded for their life because they knew that he had the absolute power to say to the guards that were standing there, take them out and kill them, and no one would ask any questions. It would be done. And so they were apologizing to him. You remember what he said? He said, yes, you meant it to me for evil. This is King James. You meant it to me for evil, but God. Oh, here it is. Listen to this. Listen, my soul, because you're going to hear of the stuff that peace is made of today. Yes, you meant it to me for evil, but God meant it to me for good. Now think of that. Can you believe it? And I tell you, if you do believe it and come to this place where you can see and, and be grateful to the Almighty God for each day that you have and for what comes to you, I will tell you that there will be a peace that will come into your heart and your soul just as surely as these men spoke of it as a rest that God rested on the seventh day of the promised land or the peace that Jesus Christ spoke of. Because you see, when you come now and thanksgiving to God, you see, you submit to the love of God. You submit to the love of God. Now that's easy for us to do because we think about the cross, about the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy for as we look at Christ and the cross, it's easy for us to know of the greatness of Christ's love. So we submit to that love. The second thing we do when we come in the spirit of thanksgiving to God, we submit to his wisdom. We submit to the wisdom of God. He alone knows what is best for us. Now, do you believe that? He alone knows what is best for us for the total, complete fulfillment of your life and mine here upon the face of this earth. He and he alone knows. And I submit to the judgment of God. And the third thing I would say when we come in Thanksgiving, we submit to the power of God. It is he alone that can bring to pass whatever needs to be brought to pass in order that you be able to have the life that he expects you to live today. He has the power. He has the power to do precisely what he wants to do 
if you will submit to him as I have talked to you about this morning. It is he that has this awesome power. And then do not, under, and do not miss this other little word there in Philippians where it says, it's closed, where he says, and I will keep his heart. I will keep. That word keep, no, it's too, it's too toned down. Because you see in the Greek that word really means to be translated. That's a military term. I will post a guard. Now think about a soldier standing guard armed completely and totally for battle. Whatever might come. And that's precisely what he's saying. He says, and God will post a guard on your heart. Which is to say, will post a guard on your heart and your soul. And no one can enter and no one can go out unless he says so. And I, in closing, would say to my soul and to yours, if you want to know the fullness of life here upon the face of this earth as it can be and as God intended it, you give ear to the book, the fourth chapter of Philippians and the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews. It's there. O our Father, May we not only hear this morning, but may these souls of ours believe, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 